Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. And the theme of our lesson today is encourage one another daily. Sound like a good theme to anybody? Uh, Anyone feel the need for daily encouragement? Aren't you uh, glad it doesn't say encourage each other annually? Or maybe encourage each other monthly or even weekly? I guess if it said encourage each other hourly, we'd probably say, okay, well, we can go with that too. But the concept is this, that daily we're in each other's lives. Daily we're encouraging each other. And the fact is, this was written to Christians because even Christians need encouragement. Uh, In fact, I don't know, uh, that doesn't change just because you become a Christian, your need for encouragement. I mean, everybody needs encouragement. And uh, don't just do that with ourselves. Let's encourage as many people as we can. But he's talking in this particular text that we should be encouraging each other. Because as Christians, we've made a decision to put God in a certain place in our life, the place He should be in. We've acknowledged Him as our God and accepted Jesus as our Savior. Uh, It was so interesting, um, you know, many of the thoughts that... uh, um, Ken, sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm definitely a little tired from uh, today's travels. But anyways... Uh, what Ken was sharing, you know, really sums up a lot of what we talked about in the, in the first two lessons out of Hebrews. Who is Jesus? He's the radiance of God. And yet, somehow he became just like us. And he's not just the image of God, he is God. And, and that's amazing. We were made in God's image, but Jesus in his spiritual nature was part God. And to think that we have a God... That would take human form. I don't think we appreciate how radical that sounds. Uh, John Bryden and I had a chance to go out for an hour and and, uh, share with people and invite people to our student Bible discussion in the city center uh, this past week. And um, I met this one 18-year-old Muslim. And uh, this was the thing that I brought up, you know. He started, he wanted to make all this sort of analytical religious comparison. And I just said, I have one question for you. How do you imagine God, Allah, forgiving you? And his answer was, well, Allah can do anything and he's just decided to. And I said, so that's it. So he decides to forgive some, he decides to forgive others. And then he talks about, well, no, you have to, you know, be a certain way. And I said, and so Allah just stands back unaffected as you do all that work. And he goes, yes, he's Allah. He is unaffected. And I was like, wow, I said, you have just said what Christianity isn't. Because the God of the Bible is the God who sacrifices himself. He's not the God that just makes a demand because of his greatness. He's the God that demonstrates his greatness by actually showing us how to do whatever he'd expect us to do. And he expects us to sacrifice, but he did so first. He expects us to live faithfully in this flesh. And he did so through Jesus Christ. And so we have a God. I mean, it, the truth is stranger than fiction. That we have a God that would take human form and be tempted and tested and feel weak just like we are. Wow, what an incredible picture that is of God. And 
And so, you know, you think about it. We, we are following Jesus. God in the flesh. And He came to us representing God. And now, the second lesson we looked at, He's returned to God representing us. Isn't it great? We pray in Jesus' name. That's not just a religious phrase. He's our advocate. He's the one that stands before God and says, I know their weakness. I know what it's like. Let's work together with them. Let's help them. And He knows our pain. Sometimes His Spirit even translates our prayers into things that we couldn't even formulate. Because He's looking at us, and even though we can't formulate it, Jesus goes, I know how He's feeling. And it isn't that God couldn't know, but if God was distant and hadn't been through this experience, we'd have a hard time accepting that He really understands. How often do we think no one else understands us? If we can think that about each other, how easy it would be to think that about God. But Jesus came in the flesh so that we would know our God understands our lives. It really is amazing. Let's go to the next, next slide. Let's read together uh, Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 11. It says here, So as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." Now this is going to follow with the scripture of encourage one another. But this is pretty heavy right there, isn't it? What he's actually talking about is a period of history where the Israelites had been freed from Egypt and slavery. And the promise was, Moses said, follow me and God will use me to lead you to the promised land. Now you're a slave in Egypt... And the promise is you're going to have a land for yourself and you won't just be someone's slave. You're going to be the ones in control. You're going to be the masters. And you're, you're going to have wealth of your own. You're going to be blessed. And so this image is pretty amazing, right? So the people followed Moses out. Now Moses performed many miracles so that people would believe that he was who he said he was. But sadly, they got out into the desert because to get from Egypt to get to the promised land, you've got to go through the desert of Sinai. And deserts are not good places. I mean, they're tough places. If you're out in the desert for a few hours, you're thirsty. And you start thinking about water. But one of the problems in the desert is there isn't much water. And so you you're become aware of your needs and then also aware, who's going to take care of me? What's going to happen for me? And sadly, it was a time of testing. And you know, this is a parallel. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a parallel to our lives. If you sort of were to chronologically look at the story of exiting Egypt, you'd see that, first of all, they began as slaves in this sort of increment of uh, history they began as slaves they were led out of uh, out of Egypt and it says that they passed through the Red Sea 
that the waters parted and they passed through. And then they came out on the other side in dry land, but it was the desert. They didn't pass through the Red Sea and come out into the Promised Land. They actually had to go through the desert to get to the Promised Land. And then to get into the Promised Land, they had to cross another river, the Jordan River. And uh, they, that river also parted and they passed through. And so you have a picture of the Israelite history right here. The picture that the book of Hebrews focuses in on. Because you have captivity and slavery. You have freedom. But then you have 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then the final crossing. And see, it's baptism is for us. That's how we escaped Egypt. That's how we escaped captivity of sin. We cross from our captivity into a new life. But you, you open up your eyes and you're still on this earth. And suddenly you realize that this earth is a desert. Suddenly you realize this earth doesn't give you what you really need. And the promised land is still one more step away. But we do sort of like our life on earth, right? It's amazing how much we can learn to love this life. But the promise of Jesus is, heaven is so much better, he can't even describe how it's better. And so heaven is the goal. But we're walking through the desert together. And this is what uh, 1 Corinthians 10 outlines even more clearly. Let's just pick this up. 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll read in verse 1. It said, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now baptism is an immersion in water. A cloud is water vapor. And as they passed through the sea, the sea opened up so there was water on all sides and there was water over top. This was a baptism. Of course, the symbolism of it they wouldn't understand until 1400 years later when Christian baptism would be instituted. But it says here that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Again, this is challenging. Because as far as we understand, 600,000 men left Egypt with women and children. Probably 2 million people anyways. But many of those people never made it into the promised land. Because they wanted to escape Egypt, but did they really want a relationship with the living God? Did they really want to connect with God and be changed by Him? Or, didn't, in fact, was it just all about them? Did they want to leave that bad life behind, and now God, give me the good life, but God, you know, I don't want you. You know, God loves to give us good gifts, But the best gift God gives us is Himself. You know, it's pretty disheartening as a parent when a child wants gifts more than they want you. And sadly, we end up teaching our kids that kind of thing. It's materialism. You know, when a kid is about four or five years old, you'd say, hey, would you like Dad to stay extra overtime at work so, you know, we can buy more toys? Or do you want Dad to come home and play with you? And in most cases, a four or five-year-old would say, Please, Dad, come home. The bad news is, by the time they're 11, they're like, Dad, could you work a little more? My Xbox is old. I need an upgrade. You know, like it doesn't take too long till they start thinking like the world. And sadly, we lose that childlike heart 
that Jesus wants to give us again by being in Christ. So they were baptized into Moses. That's the beginning of the Christian life. They wandered for 40 years. Often 40 years is used as symbolically as a generation, as a lifetime. And so, you know, they basically came through the Red Sea and for a lifetime wandered in the desert and then finally crossed over into the promised land. And see, death also just symbolically for, for uh, in many cultures, in many generations, the idea of crossing a river is the idea of death. And so, you, we cross through baptism, where? Into the wilderness. But the thing is, the people of Israel were together. They were together, and in their midst was the tabernacle, and in the tabernacle was the very presence of God. And so, they weren't alone, they weren't deserted, but they were in the desert. And it was a time of testing. Let's read a little further. Verse 6. It says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. I mean, this is terrible. They, got, they escaped out of Egypt. Next thing you know, Moses disappeared for a little while. When he came back, they were worshiping a golden calf. How do you do that? You know, it's easy to forget what God has done. And they forgot so quickly. It says in verse 8, We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Because there was a judgment taken on them. But see, what happened was, the immorality was, there was a neighboring people... And the men were actually sleeping with these, this, these neighboring people. They were flirting with the world and worse. And see, God said, I didn't bring you out of here, out of Egypt for this. And, and they were punished. And then it says, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. I mean, they tested God. They were complaining about the lack of water and food. And God gave them manna from heaven. I mean, can you imagine that? You just came out of your house every morning and your food had fallen on the ground. You could just pick it up, do a little bit of work with it, put it in the oven, and you had tasty food. Manna from heaven. But it's like, God, it's been 37 years. And we don't Manna again? But see, they grumbled against God, even about that. And they were testing God. And they grumbled. The, the example of the grumbling was against the leaders God had given him. But God said, you're really grumbling against me when you grumble against them. You know, you all know this. Leaders are imperfect. Follow me only as I follow Christ. Don't follow me. Follow Christ. Amen? And so, they grumbled... Because of, well, Moses, where are you leading us? What, what is this you're doing? Why is it so difficult? We need to remember that God holds all leaders accountable. I tell you what, the, the scariest thought, part of my life was actually stepping up to answer the call to lead. Because I understand one thing. God holds me accountable for that leadership. So what does he go on to say? Verse 11 these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. 
No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Old Testament, the whole history of the people of Israel, was written down for us as an example of what it means to be God's people. And for them it was a physical covenant with physical blessings. And though there are physical blessings in the new covenant, it's really the spiritual promises that make the new covenant so awesome. They were promised a physical promised land. We were promised heaven. What do you think is better? I'll take heaven. Amen? I mean, they are promised eternal life with God in Christ. That's what the, that's what the scripture promises the Christian. This is what God has intended for us. Let's go back to Hebrews now and pick it up. Hebrews 3. We'll look at verse 12. And you can't really see this. I'm sure you can't read this from everywhere in the, in the hall. But this is the passage that we're looking at today. And the first part, the first quarter, you could say on, on the left side, that's a quote from Psalm 95. And we just read it already. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Through this passage, you see where it's blue again. It's repeated exactly. And then a little further near the end. See, what's He saying? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. What's what's He saying? It's easy to stop listening. It's easy to stop listening to God, and it really happens. That's what we'll see through the book of Hebrews, because we take our focus off Jesus and focus on other things. And we stop listening to what He has to say. And there in verse 11, we read this already, So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's also repeated again and again. And then finally, they shall never enter my rest. We see it repeated. Why? This is a warning for us. It was written down for us. And then if you see the parts that are in green and underlined, these are commands. See to it, brothers. Again, encourage one another daily. And then in chapter 4 at the bottom, let us be careful that none of you found to have fallen short of it. And then it goes, goes on, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. We want to make it to heaven. We are now through the Red Sea. We're now God's people wandering in the desert. His presence is here. But it's only through focus on His presence that we're going to continue on the journey. This was written for us. And so we need to understand just how amazing this is. And look what he says then, picking it up in verse 12. He says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. And I appreciate Ken sharing a little bit about his baptism. Because baptism, when understood correctly, is an act that you submit to. You can't baptize yourself. The Bible says be baptized. Someone else has to baptize you. You can't do it yourself. And, and that makes sense because in that moment of baptism, God performs a miracle. 
God changes who you are before Him. You're born again. You become His child. You're starting a new life. The Spirit of God comes in. Your sins are forgiven. They're washed away. It's amazing. It doesn't get any better than that. Grace is epitomized in baptism. Because no one goes down into baptism, watch, look how I'm going to go under the water. I'm going to hold my breath for 25 seconds, and you know, it's all about me. It's not about us. And before we were baptized in faith, I'd say every one of us had been underwater many times. It isn't like that's the first time you ever went underwater. But it was the first time you went underwater in faith, in response to a promise of God, that if you repent and are baptized, you'll be saved. And so it's so clear. And it resonates exactly with this whole history of Israel. See to it, brothers. Encourage one another daily. And he says this, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly. You don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. Someone already did that for us. His name is Jesus. So your, your salvation isn't based on your perfection. But out of gratefulness for God, we try to do simply our best. And what he's saying here is, the condition of salvation is just remaining faithful. I know some days I feel more faithful than others. Some days I'm faithful in what I'm doing, kind of gutting it through. I need to do what's right. I know it. I need to be faithful. But I don't feel it. Other days I'm just like, faithful. This I'm really feeling this, you know. But I find this, the more that I'm focusing on Jesus, the easier being faithful becomes. But because sin is deceitful, and the human heart, Jeremiah, it's it's deceitful above all things. He said back in 1 Corinthians 10, be careful if you think you're standing because you might fall. The human heart gets deceived by sin. We need each other. Other people looking at us see often our lives more clearly than we do. Now, they may not understand our own struggle, our own pain. They may not understand everything we're going through on the inside. But they have a perspective that we don't have. And we tend to be either sentimental with ourselves, or to be quite honest, sometimes we're just too hard on ourselves. You know, we're upset with ourselves because we're expecting perfection. We're trying to earn it. That doesn't work. That'll, you'll lose your joy for sure. On the other hand, we need encouragement to keep moving forward. We're journeying through the desert. We're following Jesus, and that's really what's going to come out throughout this whole book of Hebrews. And let's read a little further. We'll pick this up then in verse 15. It says, As just has been said, today if you hear His voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You who, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. See, biblical faith always results in action. 
Biblical faith isn't simply acknowledging something to be true. It's acknowledging it's so true it changes how I think. It's so true it changes how I behave. It's so true I have to conform to that truth. That's the faith of Scripture. Let's go to the next slide. See, these three... Back one. Encourage one another daily. Why? Because we need to persevere. We need each other. One great thing about the church is God speaks to us through each other. God encourages us, strengthens us, takes care of us through each other. Now sometimes things beyond all explanation just happen in our lives. Wonderful blessings just drop down from heaven. And all I can say there is amen. But much to the day-to-day life that we live, God has created the community of the church so we will help each other. We're going through the desert together. And our goal is identical. It's the same. Our goal isn't to be the church. Our goal is to make it to heaven. To be there with God forever. That's our goal. Let's read a little further. Start picking up in chapter 4. It says, go to the next line. Yeah, don't miss out on the promise. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us. It's interesting how he says that. We also have had the gospel preached to us. As saying, they had the gospel preached to them first. Their gospel was symbolic. It was entering the promised land. Though the fact is, if the Jews through, through, through faith saw more into that as Abraham did. And, and in other words, the Jews who had faith understood it isn't really the promised land God's talking about. There is something more. Read the Psalms of David. He knew that God wanted to bring us home to be with him forever. So we've also had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet His work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere He has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all His work. And again, in the passage above, He says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God said a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as is said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Now a scripture was read by Ken. Jesus is saying, come to me. I'll, I'll lighten your burden. Take my yoke on you, and you'll have my peace. It's a wonderful thing. There's rest there. But that rest is by faith. We are now achieving our salvation, receiving our salvation through faith. But see, there's going to come a time when there's no more need for faith. Does that sound encouraging? 
You know, there's going to come a time when you will see God. Man, I can't get my head around that. But we're going to be in His presence forever. That's the promise of Scripture. That's what we're looking forward to. But through faith, sometimes we can we still ourselves and we get focused and we think, I'm there. I feel it. I feel that rest in Jesus in faith. Well, then... The waves begin, then we, the wind blows, the distractions begin to get at us, and we forget. But in faith we can look forward to the rest that God wants to give us. Let us be careful we don't miss out on this promise. It says in Hebrews 11.6, Faith that's pleasing to God is to believe that He exists and rewards those who earnestly seek Him. In other words, God rewards. God blesses. But God expects us to have faith. Without faith, you can't please Him. What is faith? Faith is simply the response to a message from God. Faith isn't just the capacity to believe. It's to believe what God has said. The reason the whole world stands in judgment is because the creation proclaims the nature of God. When you look at the creation, first thing you know for sure, you didn't make it, I didn't make it. Nobody we knew made it. And you have to make a decision. Did it come from nothing? Did it just, has it always been? Or in fact, you look at it and understand, someone created this. And that is the first message that every person hears. The wonder of creation. The stars declare the glory of God. Our bodies are wonderfully made. These are all poetic statements throughout the Old Testament. But then there's human suffering, physical death. These are also messages from God. God speaks to us through these things. These things make us think more deeply about what's really important. You know, a lot of people ask the question, if God's so good, why is there suffering? But see, suffering didn't come into the world because of God. Suffering came into the world and death because of sin. Oh, if God's so good, why did He let that war happen? See, that's the, that's the difficult thing about free will. You give people free will and they get to choose. And guess what? What happens at a personal level, happens at a community level, national level, and a global level. The sad thing is, when two countries start arguing, it gets really massively disturbing. God isn't starting that. It's sinful human nature. People desiring more than they need. Making claims that they have no right to. Considering others not as uh, important as themselves. All these things. But this human suffering makes us think, what's the answer? You know, it's interesting... The innocent suffer. That's the world we were born into. But what happened in the Garden of Eden is when God let the guilty go unpunished, that was mercy, not justice, mercy. The moment God showed mercy and let the guilty go unpunished, the innocent began to suffer. The next generation Cain, Abel, Seth, and others, they were born outside the Garden of Eden. They didn't do anything to get kicked out. They were kicked out because they were, so to speak, in their parents who got kicked out. The sins of the generation before do affect 
the generation that follows. But every child is born as innocent as Adam and Eve were. As perfect in God's sight. And Jesus was born in just that same state as well. Except where we all, by our own use of free will, sinned, Jesus never did. So we need to work together. We come into God's church very experienced sinners. If there's one thing like I really know how to do, it's like sin. And I even know, you know, I know that if I look over at this thing and just keep looking, sin's not far away. You know, we, we don't have accessible TV in our house. And I'm really happy about that. Because as a man, that's a great temptation. I'm not just going to blame my manhood on it. As a human being, no, uh, you know what? As a sinful Andy, it's just a temptation, okay? I'm not going to blame anybody else. But it's nice that we don't have that. You know, so we, we, I'm not tempted to go surf at night when I'm restless and have something to do. And, you know, oh, I'm not, I don't know where the next channel is going to show me. Bleep. Oh, no one's around. You know what? I have absolutely sinned in that way in the past. And I just prefer not having the temptation in front of me. But the point is this. We all know what it is to sin. We're going to continue to sin, even as Christians. But we need each other to help keep going forward. To keep focusing in on what is right. To live by faith. And so, the rest is promised... And, you know, talk about rest. God created this world in the story of creation. And it says on the seventh day He rested. Well, nothing more new was created until the church. And that's when the creative power of God, a new week began, so to speak. And God began to create something that had never been before. And that is a fellowship of eternally saved people on earth. But guess what? We're in the desert. We need each other. And so let's just close with uh, Hebrews 4 verses 12 and 13. It says, For the the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom, to whom we must give account. You know, God sees us exactly who we are. We can, we can fake out other people. Adam and Eve figured out after their sin that they were naked. So they made clothing for themselves out of fig leaves. But when God came to visit them later that day, they hid. Well, I, th- I thought they made clothing. Well, see, that's the nature of our relationship with each other. We can make compromises and we can say, well, I won't bother you about that if you don't bother me about this. I I won't, you know, we we sort of make a deal with each other. So Adam and Eve are feeling pretty good about each other. Hey, look at my fig leaf. It's awesome. They're feeling pretty good. And then they heard God coming. (gasps) He's going to see our fig leaves. It's time to run. And that's what they did. And they hid themselves from God. But see, we have a God who calls. I love it. God just didn't go, man, they were supposed to meet me here at four. They're not here. I'm going to go create another planet, another race. I mean, forget these guys. I mean, he could have done that. But instead, God goes, Adam, Eve, where are you? 
And they're like, busted. Okay, we've been caught. we got to come out. But see, it wasn't all bad. Because what God did is, He accepted them in that condition. And there were consequences. But it didn't break His love for them. And so, they continued on. And of course, God's complete plan wouldn't be revealed until Jesus Christ. But from that moment forward, people began understanding something. Without God, something's missing in my life. And they weren't in the Garden of Eden anymore. Life got a little, little tougher. But you know, the Word of God teaches us about God's heart and about God's mind. And it helps us understand God's truth. And God wants us to make it. He's rooting for us. He, he's, he's doing everything He can except one thing. Make the decision for us. That's the one thing He made His mind up before He even made the heavens and the earth. I'm going to give these people free will. It's their choice. I mean, sometimes I think that's got to be like the worst idea. But when you really think it through, there's no other way for this to work. Either we'd be God's eternal prisoners, or we're God's eternal guests. And the, the gospel is the invitation. The story of Jesus is the most incredible invitation, because the price of entry was the blood of His Son. He's paid for entry. That's the good news. And He's promised to be with us. But we need to see to it that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart. That no one turns away from the living God. And you think, how is it possible that they could ever turn away? Well, you know, I know we've got a number of seasoned married people here. And I know at the altar we looked at that person. And we thought, I could just never be upset with this person. Ever. They are so wonderful. This is just everything I ever dreamed it would be. And honestly, I believe that's the way it should be. But then life happens. And you're going through the desert. And the desert's tough. And when it gets tough, the first thing we want to do, like Adam and Eve, it's their fault. The first thing we want to do is blame somebody else. And see, the best thing to do is simply do this. Hello. You know everything about me. You know everything I'm going through. God, everything's laid bare before you. I just surrender. Help me, Lord, get through this. And He will. You know, we look at this scripture, it just says so much encouragement to us. This is what the church is. It's a body of believers huddled together, going through the desert. And, you know, if we try to make our home here, if we try to get all the meaning of life out of this material world, we'll actually get distracted and possibly even turn away from the living God. And what a tragedy that would be. Because He brought us out of Egypt, He brought us into this new relationship, and it requires only one thing, not perfection, just faith. You know, I'm so grateful for every faithful person here. May God continue to bless you and keep you close. 
And may you continue to open up your heart. Because at the end of the day, that's the, that's the most important thing. Every once in a while we have these moments where God allows us to do something significant, things that other people notice. But really at the end of the day, that's not what's getting you to heaven. The thing that gets you to heaven is simply being faithful. It's the variable. God's love is unconditional. Our faithfulness is a daily choice. See to it that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart, but encourage each other daily. You know, if we know of anybody in the congregation that's lacking daily encouragement, let's do something about it. Let's make sure we're all getting daily encouragement. Because that's what God has asked us to do. And just in case you one day wake up and think, this doesn't feel like heaven, it feels like a desert. Yeah. You got it. That's right. This isn't heaven yet. We're in the desert, but we're together, and God is among us. And if we just remain faithful, we will receive what is promised. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you that you are the God who cares. You're the God who loves. You're the God who calls. Maybe most incredibly, you're the God who sacrifices. That you would give up your own son for us. That you would offer him on a cross for us. It's just unbelievable. And Father, in that sacrifice, we understand you show us what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness can never be earned. It can never be deserved. It can never be boughten. Forgiveness is a gift on the side of the one who does the forgiving. And you show us that in Jesus Christ. To forgive us, you had to put to death legal justice and replace it with mercy. And Father, Jesus suffered on the cross unjustly because he offers us forgiveness, which is also against justice, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He offers us mercy, which is so much better. Thank you. Help us to let that mercy move us. Let that mercy really motivate us each day to make every effort to enter that rest. Father, we know we can't earn our salvation. But we also know you ask us to be faithful to you. That looks different each day, depending on where we are and what we're facing. But Father, I pray that we can encourage each other to be faithful to the very end. Thank you for your spirit being among us. Thank you for the fellowship we have. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.